Hi, it's Jasmine. You know, that girl who did you know what way before the internet ever existed. Join me and my special guest every week as we talk about anything and everything because nothing is too taboo. So punch your ticket and get on board the crazy train with me, Jasmine St. Clair. All aboard! Welcome to another episode of Crazy Train. I hope you guys are enjoying the ride so far. This week's guest is one of my comedic friends from Canada, A. Canada, and he's also a huge wrestling fan. We originally met on the internet, um, talked about wrestling. He's got his own podcast and his own show. Let us welcome on board Mr. Casey Corbin. Yay! Thank you so much. We finally, finally made it happen, Casey. And what a sad day about the Iron Sheik of all people. Oh, it's terrible. It's terrible. It's terrible anytime something that's iron just sort of whittles away or, you know, like, and uh, the Iron Sheik is gone as of today. So as wrestling fans like you and I, it's uh, it's a big day because he's so important in the history of wrestling. Like not just just the, the man who hand delivered the belt to Hulk Hogan, but also uh, him helping Vern Gagne run his camp in Minnesota that gave us Ric Flair and the Road Warriors and you know, and all these great wrestlers that came through the AWA that it would eventually filter into WCW and the WWE. It's crazy. The Iron Sheik has done so much for this business and uh, it's a sad day for wrestling fans. It's insane. You know, it's like these people are supposed to outlive us. You know, and I heard so many stories. I had a friend that worked with him years ago and it's sad. Like I feel as though he could have made more money somehow. Uh, you know, instead mm. of sleeping in a car in someone's driveway, getting up to do the next convention, you know, yeah. I'm a dick myself. I shouldn't have pranked him as Missy Hyatt and all that. Sh- like that was years ago. Um, there are a few pranks I played because you know, I still like I said before, he, he's like the granddad that the kids have to prank in a harmless way. But hey, at least you know, it, um, I don't know. He thought for a while that Missy Hyatt wanted him. Well, that, that's a that's a pretty cruel prank. No, and because <laughs> it'd yeah. be nice to actually think that you know, if I thought Missy High wanted me, I'd be the happiest person. <laughs> then to find out, I'd be devastated. Well, no, it escalated because I was at WrestleCon or one of those things with like she was next to me, he was on the other side of us. Hey, Missy, we're going to room to do gimmick after. <laughs> it's going to be good. So whatever the voice is. So if, I was like, oh, shit. You tr- I'm trying not to laugh at that point. I'm like, shit, I'm the culprit of all of this. <laughs> well, I think um, I worked with, I used to do shows with Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Oh, where and, was this? Uh, up here in Canada. Like, okay. a lot. I've been very lucky to, a lot of wrestlers have wanted to go into one man shows or and the best place for those are comedy clubs so they they'll so i've actually toured with uh, ricky steamboat ted dibiase uh um uh, who else uh jeepers the list is um uh oh my god who am I? i'm blanking on uh, tito santana jimmy hart um hacksaw, uh, hacksaw jim duggan when i worked with him 
in a couple of different cities, like three or four cities. Um, one of his stories that he tells about is how him and the Iron Sheik got busted uh, driving together uh, when they were with the WWF and then getting pulled over by the police and uh, the Sheik had cocaine on him. Uh, they got caught with weed and cocaine and Vince, and it made all the headlines. Then this is before the internet. And so then uh, Vince McMahon basically fired them both uh, because of everything, because these guys were fighting against each other. And back then there was a strict policy that faces cannot be seen with heels. So these guys, and, and, and she just sort of jumped in with Jim Duggan at the last minute and said, let's go. And he was like, he was apprehensive. But then when they got pulled over, they got caught with the drugs and everything. And I remember asking Jim, I was like, so what was Vince more upset about? Was he more upset about the fact that you guys got caught with cocaine and all these drugs? Or was he upset with the fact that you were feuding with the Iron Sheik and you got caught together, which broke the kayfabe and, you know, and broke the illusion of wrestling being real? And Jim told me it was the second it was the fact they got caught together. And uh, I was like, well, fuck Vince McMahon. Because if he had any brains, he could have flipped Jim Duggan as an Iraqi sympathizer. And Jim Duggan could have been the Sergeant Slaughter because that's what he did to Sergeant Slaughter two years, three years later. He flipped Sergeant Slaughter, who was G.I. Joe, great American hero, and flipped him, made him an Iraqi sympathizer and put him with the Sheik and he was the hottest heel in wrestling. Now, what if he did that with Duggan two, two or three years earlier after this car, um, this car incident? You know, it's a missed opportunity on Mr. McMahon's part, I would say. Yeah, Mr. McMahon with all the blood on his hands. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's sad. And, you know, it, it's, it, it just goes to show there's so many people out there, you know, such as yourself, that you know, you're very smart, you watch it. It just doesn't make a difference. You know, you could always flip it. You have everyone else seeing what could be gold. But who knows what people's um, backstage politics are. Speaking of which, remember the Jimmy Snuka incident? Yes. I'm just curious. I mean, rest his, you know, rest his soul. And he, I worked with him a few times. A lovely person. What do you think might have happened? Because I have all these conspiracy theories about maybe it's drugs. Because when drugs are involved, I, I, shit happens for the most part. Yeah. I, well, I just I just think he had um, a hot temper, maybe. And I think there was probably a physical altercation between him and his girlfriend. And I think, um, you know, he probably left the, the scene a little too early. Like maybe, you know, I like I don't because the thing is is you don't want to dismerge these legends and everything, but um, you know I would just say that like I don't know what happened, but I would think that he knocked her out or so she got knocked out. Maybe she pushed, maybe she fell, she hit her head, or she got knocked out, and he had to go. And he thought, oh, she's just passed out. That could be it. Maybe he didn't know he killed her. Maybe, anyways. Regardless, the bigger story is Vince McMahon covered it all up. And yeah. I'm sure he paid it to get it go all the way. And I'm sure he told Jimmy, uh, Jimmy Snooker, just play Jungle Boy. 
play your character, pretend you're an idiot, like just pretend like you don't know that much English, you know, like just 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 don't know anything. So, you know, but it, it's clear that when they go back and they look through all everything, all the evidence and everything, that there was some tampering with the evidence and there was some tampering with the police department. And I think Vince McMahon just paid it to go, made it go away. And then it came back years and years later because maybe that evidence came to light and the family found out. So the fact is, um, when he went to trial, he was too ill to fit, but it was, he was dead within a year anyway. So, you know, it's, uh, it's unfortunate, but um, yeah. So we'll never know. But I'm sure there'll be a dark side of the ring, or there must have been already. So there was for that there one. There already has been. There'll probably be a part two um, sooner than later. You know, they'll probably. I mean, they when they did Dark Side of the Ring the first time I watched it. <laughs> I watched it the very. I watched it the very first time XPW Wrestling yes. had a show in Newark, and I'm watching that with my friends. We're in the room, like we hooked up the laptop. Oh, you got to watch this. It's really good. I'm like, well, what is it? It's Rob's. I said, I don't want to see. Then you see that. Then you're going to work like a couple hours later. It's like, yep. But, you know, I, they, I, I don't really, I don't really get those. But, uh, you know, I don't think we've had much controversy in wrestling as of late because things have just so fucked up over cancel culture and mm-hmm. just, you know, to have, uh yellow brick road or farewell hello yellow brick road what's the elton john song um goodbye yellow brick road goodbye yeah goodbye yellow yellow brick road playing and people like that it's just so many things in wrestling have gone back and not in a good way it just feels like we're taking 20 steps backwards then you have the i know this is a lot to take in for the question but it's the backstory then you have female managers like the Sherry Martell's, Miss Elizabeth's, Nancy Sullivan. It was great. Then yes. you come in and you got a lot of girls. Well, we want this. We want to do matches. Okay, that's good. Female matches are great. It's a great part of the show. If I want to see all female matches, I, I'll click on Glow or like Wow or mm-hmm. Shimmer. Yeah. And now it's slowly like diminished the role of a female manager. Now that's kind of slowly coming back here and there. What are your thoughts on managers in general in wrestling? Like, did you like watching promos and seeing all that? I love managers. And I don't think there's enough of great managers or let alone managers in in wrestling right now. Look at like, you know, everybody talks like legendary feuds. Well, one of the greatest feuds of all time is Bobby Heenan versus Hulk Hogan. It went 30 years. When they were in the AWA, they didn't like each other. When they went to the WWE, they they didn't like each other. Then they went to the WCW. Hulk Hogan became a bad guy. Bobby Heenan still didn't like him. You know, but meanwhile, they were friends the whole time. But every, like, Bobby Heenan would just find a new guy, bring him in, put him up against Hogan, lose. Get a new guy, bring him in, put him against Hogan, lose. Finally, I flips the giant. Now he brings in the giant and still loses. Fine, sells the giant to million dollar man, cashes out rich, and they win the belt. You know, like the Bobby Heenan Hulk Hogan's like 
There's no better manager ever than Bobby Heenan. Jimmy Hart is priceless. Like, we came up in an era with all these great managers. And I asked Jimmy Hart this question about being the manager, because Bobby Heenan was always the top guy, the top manager with the best talent, getting the main events. And Jimmy was always on the undercard. But Jimmy said, well, the way I looked at it, uh, I got to come out at like three times a night, and Bobby only came out once. And he goes, and I got to manage the tag champions and the Intercontinental Champion. So three champions is better than one, baby. <laughs> you know, the way Jimmy is. And and I, I never even looked at it at that perspective. I was like, yeah, that, that is a really great attitude to have it because I'm sure Slick it got even less than Jimmy, you know? So Sir Oliver Humperdinck, great. Like, look at Paul Heyman today is one of the best things in wrestling. And he barely does anything. He just backs up Roman with those belts on his shoulders and gives Roman that credit of being hardcore, tough, and a great champion. So, but, and valets too, you know, he's like, you look at China before she became a wrestler, when she was just China, the enforcer in DX. Great, great work. Uh, Sable before, and like before, and Sunny, unfortunately, but, you know, Sunny was a great manager. She managed so many teams with tag titles. Uh, so there's no managers right now. And AEW, uh, Jeff Jarrett always has his wife, Karen, with her. And the best thing about that last AEW pay-per-view was her hitting the referee, Audrey, whatever her name is. I'm sorry, I forgot. Audrey Edwards, maybe, with the, with the, with the guitar out of nowhere. I didn't see that coming. And that's a great moment for managers. I think man, there's not enough managers in wrestling. There, there should be more. That's a Definitely. great answer. And also the promos, you know, it's like we've lacked so much of that, you know, so many of the great promos. And then with all the craziness going on and the wokeness, it's like, why aren't people pushing things? Why aren't people getting crazier and getting controversy? Because you can't cancel anyone in wrestling, which brings me back to kayfabe. Do you really think that affects the attendance of wrestling at all when we don't have kayfabe? I don't think so at all, because everybody today, everybody knows what's up. And you know what? Like, okay, sure, there are guys like MJF who keep in character because you can call uh, fans fuckholes and assholes and just tell them, hey, buddy, good luck with the diabetes. You know, he can be a heel and stay in character. And like, who, who wouldn't want to do that if you love being that character? So that's great. Like, if you can... My God, I remember one time my friend told me this story about he, he used to fly a lot. So he was in airports a lot. And he saw Stone Cold was in an airport coming through with his little bag. And like they all have trolley bags, which makes them look very unmasculine when you see them pulling their little trolley bag. But it's the way people got to travel, whether you're the undertaker or Stone Cold. So somebody went up to Stone Cold and said, hey, Stone Cold, can I have your autograph? And he stopped and he was signing. And then he said, you know, hey, Stone Cold, um, Mr. McMahon's really kicking your ass around Monday Night Raw lately. And Stone Cold looked said, oh, yeah. And then he just he just snapped the pencil in two and he threw the pencil and the book on the floor. And then he just walked away in a Stone Cold walk as he was pulling his trolley. And my friend said, I could swear I could hear his Stone Cold music in my head 
as he snapped the pencil and just walked away. And what he did was he just turned on the character, gave that fan a minute, scared the shit out of him, and then kept moving, you know? And uh, if you're that fan, you're telling that story for the rest of your life. Yeah, so I would imagine. It's important to stay in kayfabe. Or, like, look at The Undertaker. That guy, he never got to come out of character. They told him, stay in character for the longest time. He didn't do interviews. He didn't do press. He's a zombie. He just comes in. He's dead. Is he alive? We don't know. And um, so... I met him two nights after the Montreal screw job. I was in a show in Cornwall, Ontario. They were taping the raw that night because they used to do back-to-back raws. So Ottawa was the live raw where all the fans were booing because DX screwed Bret Hart the night before. And then the next night was in Cornwall. And um, I knew a guy that had trained with Bret Hart and he was in ECW for a bit. His name was Glenn Kalka and he was going to get me tickets to um to raw the second night in cornwall well he did it they weren't there were no tickets left so we were like screwed out of tickets the car had already started but then there used to be a group called doa and they were a biker gang chains skull eight ball uh the harris brothers and uh who else on uh, the fake the fake undertaker i can't remember his name brian lee so they were uh, a, a trio that were rode harleys into the ring and uh, it turns out whenever they go town to town, they just go to the Harley dealership and they say, can we borrow a couple of Harleys? We'll give you VIP treatment at Raw. Come out, bring your family, lend us a couple of Harleys. That way they don't have to bring them from town to town. They just give them back. So the guy, this guy comes out with his daughter and he says, hey, you guys looking for tickets? We're like, yeah. And he goes, well, just take mine. And he goes, I own the Harley shop. They brought some of my Harleys. So you can just have my tickets. I was like, oh, this is great. And then he goes, do you want these backstage passes as well? And we're like, uh, yes. So we got these backstage passes and we got these comp tickets. So we went in, but we didn't know how to use the backstage passes because we'd never been backstage anywhere before. And this is like 97. And so I said, let's just go to where they would all leave, like out the back door in where the cars are parked. So we just went by the back like garage where they were the, where they would all leave and eventually one by one they all started coming out and so we got to meet like brian christopher god bless his soul uh you know and then like vader locked his keys in his car and he was like look and he was like crying about it gold dust was mad for some reason and he just zoomed out of the parking lot uh and then the wrestlers they started coming out more and more uh crowbar who was uh, wrestling Brian Lee that night and then and then Brian Lee came out with Stone Cold. We only had two pictures left on our disposable camera so we said we've got to make these count. Me and my buddy Chris, he was with me. So Stone Cold comes down it's 97, Stone Cold like he didn't know he was about to take Bret Hart's spot that John Michaels thought he was taking but it, went, it really went to Stone Cold so Stone Cold I got a picture with him and a picture with Brian Lee and then my buddy got a picture with Brian Lee and Stone Cold, and we were out of pictures. So I have, but whenever I have that picture up my wall, I fold it out Brian Lee. No offense, Brian Lee. It's just, it's me and Stone Cold. You know, we want to, you know, we want to be buddies, you know, but so anyways, 
long story short, the wrestlers keep coming out, coming out. I meet, we're meeting them one by one. And then there's a long pause. And then my buddy's like, I guess we should go. And we're like, well, we haven't seen all the wrestlers. He's like, you're right. And my buddy was a big Undertaker, Mark. And he was like, you're right. Undertaker still has to come. And I was like, yeah. And my friend Chris is the biggest Undertaker fan I've ever known. Like years and years ago, Jimmy Superfly Snooker was in my hometown doing a sh- an independent show. And after the match, my friend waited an hour to see Jimmy Snooker. And uh, he finally met him. And he asked, he goes, I've been always wanting to ask you this question, Mr. Snooker. And he's like, yeah, brother, what's that? And then he goes, uh, he goes, when you wrestled a virtual unknown wrestler by the name of The Undertaker at WrestleMania 7, did you know when he pinned you for the one, two, three, that he had the great makings to be the wrestler that he became today? And Snooker just looked at him and said, what? You know, like it wasn't even about him. He was asking about The Undertaker. So that's how big this nerd is. My buddy Chris is. He's just a wrestling nerd. So as wrestlers kept coming out, like when Brian Lee was with Stone Cold, he said, Brian Lee, uh, is it true that you were the fake Undertaker? And he said, yes, I was the Underfaker. And then he goes, is it true that you were the Undertaker's best man at his wedding last summer? And he goes, yes, I was the best man at his wedding last summer. And I'm sitting there going, it's 1997. We don't have the internet. How much money is this guy spending on Mean Gene's hotline where he's getting all these insider tips on about who's the Undertaker's best man at his wedding and who played the Underfaker? You know, like, I'm like, how does he know so much? But anyways, the wrestlers kept coming out and we kept meeting them. But now, before, two months before I got, we even got these tickets, I work at a restaurant, I used to work at a restaurant called the Lone Star Texas Bar and Grill. And it was owned by a Texan by the name of Val Belcher, who played CFL Canadian Football League. And so Val Belcher said to me one day, he said, Casey, do you know a wrestler by the name of The Undertaker? And I said, uh, yeah, everybody knows The Undertaker, Val. He's like one of the most famous wrestlers ever. And he's like, oh, he's like, well, our, he was, our daddies grew up together. They were best friends. And I've known the, I've known the undertaker my entire life. He goes, our daddies were best friends. And I told Val, I said, well, that's impossible because everybody knows his daddy died in a funeral parlor fire. So then he, I was joking because that's the character. That's the story. I, and he looked at me because he doesn't even know that he goes, no, he didn't. And then I was like, never mind. I was just joking. So anyways, cut to, we're waiting on the last two couple wrestlers. Sure enough, it happens. The Undertaker comes walking out. He's got his carry-on bag. And he's got a full-on black duster. He's got a big bandana on. He's got his glasses on. His hair is soaking wet. And he walks out. And my buddy's like, I don't know what to say to him. I've been waiting my whole life. I don't know what to say. I'm like, don't say anything just say thank you you know and he's like i don't know what to say and then finally the undertaker comes up to him and my buddy goes uh hey undertaker i'm your biggest fan uh i've wanted to meet you my whole life uh i've always wanted to ask you a question i just don't know what to ask you and the undertaker is just standing there and uh as he's waiting like he's got a tour van out in the parking lot 
and uh, and it's foggy. I remember that. And uh, he's just sort of ignoring him. And then um, the Undertaker, and so then he asks a few more things, and then he looks down at the bag. He says, um, Undertaker, can I take your bag to your tour bus? And he just nods his head. And the Undertaker, you know, nods his head. So my buddy grabs his bag and goes and takes it to the tour bus. And now I'm standing there alone with the Undertaker. And it's awkward because my friend has made it awkward. But then I realized, oh, I have something to say to this guy. So I turned to him. I said, hey, Undertaker, um, we have a friend in common. And he looked at me and I said, um, I work for a big old Texan by the name of Val Belcher. And all of a sudden, the Undertaker looked at me. He said, Val Belcher from Houston, Texas. I said, yes, Val Belcher from Houston, Texas. And he goes, oh, my God. We grew up together. Our daddies were best friends. And he even took off his glasses and he started talking to me. And I was like, and then he goes, so he goes, our daddies were best friends. I said, that's exactly what he told me. But then I had to correct him and tell him about your daddy dying in the funeral parlor fire. The Undertaker did not laugh at that at all. He didn't even think it was funny. He was like, oh, wrestling nerd. So that joke died two for two, although I still think it's funny to this day. So then the Undertaker goes, I said, I apologize for my friend's behavior. He goes, oh, don't worry. We get those fans every now and again. And then he said, uh, he introduced himself as Mark Calloway. And I, he goes, I'm Mark. I said, I know, which I should have said, great to meet you, Mark. Glad we have a friend in common. But I did, and I was like starstruck as well. And then, uh, and then uh, he goes, your friend's coming back. I'm going to put my glasses back on. He goes, but you do me a favor. You tell Val Belcher that I said hello. And I was like, I will tell him 100% for sure. He goes, okay. So as this is happening, my friend's coming back and then something else happens. One of the road agents from the WWE. Now I was wondering why Mark and I were standing there by ourselves. Like, why didn't he just go to his tour bus? He was waiting for someone. The road agent brings out, brings out this blonde girl, bombshell. And she's like, Mark, let's go. Mark, let's go but it's not his wife but it's just a girl that's maybe traveling with him maybe she does his hair who knows but she wants to go and uh my friend comes back and as she's saying mark let's go mark let's go my friend's still saying i don't know what to ask you i don't know what to ask you and then finally he says i don't know how are your wife and kids thank you that's the exact look i had when he said that i went like that the road agent went like that. I, I didn't even know what to say. I was like, look it. We all know professional athletes, what they're like on the road. This is obvious that this is, look at that girl's going home with someone that's in that room. And it's not me and it's not my buddy. So it's just the undertaker. So he, I'm like, oh my God, the undertaker took off his glasses. He had his eyes rolled into the back of his head. And he looked at my friend and he goes, you claim to know me. You talk to me like you know me. And then my friend dropped to his knees and started begging for forgiveness. And the undertaker just put his glasses back on and slowly walked out into the November fog. And I didn't see him again. That's the true story. Like it's the most insane story of, and the most embarrassing story that I've ever had with a, like, with a celebrity. Is that well, not? 
Yeah, but the girl that she wasn't his hairdresser or his personal masseuse. Let's get no. I know what was going on. I could read a situation. (laughs) Crazy though. I I couldn't imagine. I mean, I've said some things to some friends of mine that you know are wrestlers that I knew were in these miserable relationships. I would say, so how's married life? And it's like, God sucks. Blah 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 blah. But you may see these things all the time. A specific wrestler that was working with me once was backstage arguing with the wife on the phone. And, um, you know, then two seconds later, it's uh, some girl once again. Oh, hey, how's yeah. it Yeah, oh, yeah, great. You know, sorry. And I was on the, I was outside on the phone with my accountant. Yeah, okay, right. <laughs> well, in a way, yeah, yeah and- the wife, the accountant, the same thing. Well, look at if, look at if you're in, in any, in any job, that requires large amounts of hours of you spending together. For example, restaurants. Restaurants have their own culture within the restaurant. And if you're sitting there at a restaurant and you watch the servers enough and everything, you can tell who's sleeping with each other. You can just be like, oh, "Oh, those two are banging. Because restaurants are like brothels. They all hang out together. Everybody that works in a restaurant hangs out together. And it's very incestuous. And, you know, and I would imagine the WWE or any professional, like the WWE, this is a touring company and they're always together. They're all away from their families, but yet they're all gorgeous women and men, please. You know what I mean? Like if you're, if you're married into that, it's like the mafia. You don't talk about it when they get home. You're just happy to be with it. And you pretend everything's perfect. You know, that kind of like touring musicians really quick. Was this guy, the same friend that knew, our mutual uh, that knew Lauren Hammersley was it the same guy? Was he the one that? No, gave her? Okay. no, 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 no. That's my buddy Pete. Yeah. Okay, so. I just had to ask. I remember that whole story. It was the funniest thing ever. And you know, you're doing comedy for quite some some time. Why do you think there's a uh, that whole link between you know wrestlers and comics? Is it because everyone likes to get fucked up together, or did I? I didn't even ask you this. No, I did not. Yeah. What's that? Well, I think. I think wrestling comedy are very similar. Like uh, if I was like, when I, I sometimes I teach comedy courses to newbies and stuff like that. And when I teach, the one thing I say is who watches wrestling? And then I would say, comedy is exactly like wrestling. None of it is real. All your, everything that you're doing is basically to get a reaction out of somebody in the audience immediately. And that's exactly what wrestling is. And when you put a set together, it's like building a wrestling match. Uh, you have to have, uh, first of all, you have to have a quick start. You got to get to those laughs really quick. Otherwise, if you don't, the audience is going to question how funny you are. So you want to get that first laugh out of the way. You come, you got to get off to a quick start. And then once you get going, you can pace it and plan out where the big jokes are going to be. And then just have all the little stuff in between. But you got to have your big spots. And then you got to have, you know, your headlocks as well. You know, the jokes that, you know, like you have your A, like you have your level A jokes, your level B jokes, and then your level C jokes are like filler. So, you know, but in the end, you have to do your best joke that has to be the most memorable. It's like having a finishing maneuver, but we call them closers. Like I have four different closers that I, that I rotate. And on any given show, I might do one of the four final jokes that I have that are my closers. Those are my finishing maneuvers. And once I hit you with the closer, bam, it's over. So 
And then you look at, you know, most people are like, like me on stage is just, the persona is just me with the dial turned down, like turned up, but on the dumbness, because I play like a pothead stoner. And, you know, and that's like Stone Cold is just him with the dial turned up to 11, you know? So I think building a match is very similar, very similar to building a set. Uh, if you do an hour, that's great. You know, that's like wrestling. That's great. If you, you're trying to keep somebody's attention and keep them entertained for an hour, you know, it's crazy. So, and uh, the traveling and the coming up is very similar as well. And then there's a lot of humor within wrestling too. So, right, like, you know, the WWE has hired a lot of comedians to help out with their, pro help wrestlers out with their promos or, or write, or use them as writers in the past. So, you know, it's, uh, wrestling definitely uses comedy as well. So the two are very interlocked and intertwined. That makes sense, actually. You know, I was listening, then I was reading something, um, some kind of alert came up about the skies in New York, but uh, oh it makes a lot of sense because, okay, so, you know, with the promos, they're fun, right? You want to mm. keep it relevant to wrestling or whatever your angle is. And I feel as though like improv really helps with that, you know? And a lot of these guys I do know don't have training with that. They don't get the whole, like, just stay in the work. Even if you screw up, no one's really going to notice. What, and it yeah. maybe it's the funniest thing. Now, with that said, I know Shawn Michaels does great promos, but do you think that he might be a little bit, um, a, little, a little bit too old to be coming out to the same ring entrance music, Sexy Boy? There's nothing sexy about him when he takes his hat off. He, looks he like has a, a mullet, though. Well, a skull. Uh, it's a skullet, and he's got a googly eye, which is like, is he talking to you? Is he talking to me? Who's he talking to? Is oh, he does? I didn't notice that. Yeah, and he's just, he's not this, you know, he has to put on the cowboy hat in order to be the Shawn Michaels he used to be. It's just so sad. Losing your hair is really, it's really terrible for men. Like, women only like thin when it's, you know, they love, women love thin as in, except when it's your hair or your wallet. Those are the two oh. thin things oh, that no. women don't like. No, 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 no. The wallet first, then the hair. The hair you can yes. always show to like you. You can get pills. You 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 can get a. You can do a lot of things if you have the wallet. Yes, they kind of go together, which are you know. But the um, but yeah, it's just like uh, you know, as far as promos go and stuff like that. You look at guys like Chris Jericho's talk. He's he went to groundings. Like he would fly yeah. into the grounding shows do them and then fly out like back to Tampa Bay on his own dime. Wait, and he, wait, he took groundlings. Cause I've never, I didn't hear, I know, I know, I know that Tyra, Tyra Banks was trying to go to groundlings, Faye Dunaway went yeah. to groundlings. I don't know if she completed the classes there, but he went to classes there. Yeah. He took a whole bunch oh, of classes there. Yeah. That's so yeah, he, crazy. Yeah. So like you look at keeping your promo fresh, your, your, your promos fresh. Like Chris Jericho is one of the best promos ever. Yeah. And, you know, and he's always trying to get new catchphrases over or, or something, you know, he's just trying to be prominent. And I think, you know, the best promo guys are often imitated. And, uh, yeah, like, you know, like the best promo guys of all time, you know, you like, 
I think you you know you got to look at Ric Flair uh, is up there. Uh, Bobby the Brain Heenan cuts great promos for all of his guys. Um, you know, now it's the thing too is like if you couldn't cut a promo, that's where you needed the manager because the managers could always cut promos. Yeah. You know, like Taz is not a you know like like uh, I was gonna say Taz is not a great promo, but that's not true. Taz is great on the mic now, um, but like. You know, there's so many guys that like they need a man with like, like you know, Brock Lesnar. He's great at promos now, but he didn't have to be because he had Paul Heyman with him. Same with Roman. But now you look at these guys are so seasoned. Like Brock Lesnar is so entertaining. My God, he's the funniest. Like there, he's now doing comedy shtick. Is he cowboy? Well, he does this. He's cowboy Brock now. He comes out and he's a fan favorite. And like he's just he's laughing, he's having a good time. This is something you never saw the any other version of Brock Lesnar, but this is the fan favorite Brock Lesnar now. And he's just so good at everything he does. And it's just like, but uh promos are not a strong suit. But you know, the great promo guys out there. And then as far as comedy promos go, you know. I don't know. Jericho's always funny. The Rock, of course. Jeepers. Stone yeah. Cold. I think like that um, Paul Heyman also has a lot to do with um, with a lot of these because I just remember like working with him. He would be the person to uh, you know to help you with this stuff in the back. You know, this is what yeah. he does. Yeah, mm-hmm. which is amazing. And you know, he I think he's one of the most uh, undervalued, pe- underrated people like in the whole business now speaking of comedy and wrestling with comedy what even got you into that like why did you start comedy did it find you or did you find it no there's two things i was obsessed with when i was a kid and it was comedy and wrestling and, why comedy um because i wasn't good enough to be an athlete like i was a chubby kid and as much as i played sports i was bullied in sports a lot and um but at the same time my dad and my mom I grew up in a comedy loving family like I remember when my dad brought home like uh Cheech and Chong tapes or like when in the late 70s and I would hear Cheech and Chong albums or uh, uh Bob and Doug McKenzie from SCTV uh take off eh like I remember when that record came out my dad brought the record home and we listened to it and then like when I was young and my dad used to bring the neighbors over because he had a bar in our basement and uh, they'd be downstairs. We'd be upstairs getting to stay up late watching Saturday Night Live or SCTV. And I'd get to watch like all this comedy. And then it was like, and then all of a sudden, you know, Eddie Murphy delirious came into my life and it changed everything. And from that moment, like that, I'm like, that's a job. Like I'm a middle child. All I want is attention. You're going to tell me I can stand on a stage, walk around, make people laugh with the spotlight on me uninterrupted. And that's a real job. Like, that's a thing. Like, that was it. Like, once I saw Eddie Murphy, I was like, that's what I want to be. And then I started obsessing over comedy, watching A&E every night. Like, I, my parents would let me stay up late as long as I did my paper route the next day. So as long as I was up at 6.30 every morning to do the paper route, I could stay up as late as I wanted. So I would stay up to like 1, 1.30 in the morning watching late night television and then go to bed and then be up at 6.30, like, you know, in grade eight, <laughs> you know, like, 
So, uh, yeah, and I just, and then I didn't actually start comedy until 94. Like, I moved out of my hometown, and I moved to go away to college. And then there was an article in the newspaper about Norm MacDonald, because he was from Ottawa, where I was from. And it was all about how he started at the Yuck Yucks. And then it was an advertisement for the Yuck Yucks and it advertised New Talent Night. And if I would never read that Norm MacDonald article, who is my favorite comic of all time, um, I would have never had found out about the New Talent Night, or maybe I would have later, but I found that New Talent Night, I called that number that week, and in two weeks later, I was on my stage for the first time ever. So... Yuck Yucks? Yeah, Yuck Yucks. I think I think you told me about that before. That's... um. It's a, uh, it's kind of a, a weird name. Anyway. Yeah. Everybody, <laughs> everybody, it's such a, an eighties, like when you think of comedy clubs, hey, chuckle yeah. fucks and chuckle hut and fuck yucks and yuck yucks. Chuckle and, fuckers. Wait a second. Yeah. You, you know what a chuckle fucker is, obviously. No. What is a chuckle fucker? It's the equivalent to a ring rat. So it's a comedy groupie. Oh my God. Yeah. I call them angels. <laughs> you call them what? Angels. Angels. Well, I, yeah, they could be that too, I guess, to some degree, uh, as long as it doesn't turn into like a fatal attraction situation. Um, but that's something else. So did you ever do comedy out in LA? I mean, because it was so different than comedy then versus now. Like, did you have any experiences on the strip at that point with comedy or meeting anyone um, infamous at that time? No, no, like never, never. Like in LA, I've, I've like done the store a few times and uh and done like you know west side in santa monica but i've never done the improv and that's my like it's a dream of mine to just play the improv i've been there because that's the one i watched the most as a kid was the piano the improv on the stage and uh and then you know the, when i see the laugh factory i never even give that any attention because that's like newer you know but it's the store and it's the improv those are the two but usually when I come down to L.A., I just do shows that my friends are on or I hop on these shows at the last minute or whatever. And it's always uh, fun and dandy. But I've never had any crazy, crazy experiences, you know. But um, but I did get hit on by, like, this most gorgeous gentleman. Like, one night we did a show and then we went out after in L.A. We went to the Chateau uh, Marmont, and which I was just excited to go because... John Belushi died there and um so we were there and I was just with my couple comics and and we were there and then this guy came up to our table and uh and he said excuse me he's like uh sorry to bother you guys he goes will you solve a bet for us and I was like sure and he looked at me he goes are you a Wahlberg and I looked at him and I was like what am I a Wahlberg and he goes yes and I was like no why would you say that and then he goes to me because you have mark Wahlberg's eyes and then oh i was like my oh god. my god i was like oh my god that's and an I was insult like, i took it as i took it as I, I i thought i realized he was hitting on me oh. um like he was this gorgeous asian beautiful man and I don't think I'd ever heard a line like that ever in my life. And I was like, oh, my heart was a flutter because I'm a Mark Wahlberg fan. I do love Mark Wahlberg. And now, and then every time I was like, after that, I'd be like driving. I'd look in the rearview mirror and look at my eyes. I'm like, and now when I watch his movies, I'm like looking in his eyes the whole time, trying to like 
do they look like my eyes? But a couple people have said it since, but I don't know. Maybe I look like one of his brothers with the eyes, but no, still. no, no, no. You have his eyes actually. Now that you bring it up, you do. Except you have, I think you have more talent than he does. I liked him when he was younger. He was a Calvin Klein guy. Then he met Penny Marshall, and then you know whatever. I guess it was from there everything you know went upwards for him. But you, you have his eyes. Yes. Well, I will just say this: um, the eyes are the window to the soul. So, <laughs> but, but, but I will say, good vibrations to this day. You put that on at any party, it gets people going. Like it's actually, it does. It's one of the like you think about Mark Wahlberg, like wrote that song is better than anything his brother did in New Kids on the Block. Good vibrations is such a good song, and I'm it not is. even a fan of that of that music. But I was like. I pass an F45 going like when I walk to the subway every day and I was like, what happens in there? And then I like to picture, it's just like uh, good vibrations on a loop, people curling cinder blocks with a bar in between us in, in wife beaters or through the loom tank tops. I don't know what they call them anymore. They used to be called wife beaters. They're wife beaters. I still call them wife beaters. So do I. I don't have a wife to beat, so don't take it so serious. Even you if know? the guy wears it, like this guy, no, he, uh, he beat it. I, he got into some physical altercation with his wife, whatever. And he does wear wife beater tops. I don't think it's offensive. He doesn't care that I say that. No. You know, even though he really is. I, I wonder why they even came up with the term wife beater. Kid Rock? I don't know. I'm oh, not all, all those, all the like Italians used to wear it back in the day, you know, once or, upon a time. Or maybe like every time you turned into an episode of Cops, the guy getting dragged out and was wearing a wife beater. <laughs> it's like, I didn't, I didn't touch my wife. Don't I tell us. Tell your, <laughs> tell your torso, you know. Yeah, you right? Touch. It's like, you're wearing the wife beater, buddy. He's <laughs> like, throw it out next time. So I put on a plaid shirt, something. So I know they don't really get original. I mean, it's it's like, and then you got mullets that wear that shit sometimes. And then here, here's the other thing with that. You brought up SNL. So when I took physical comedy, we were taking it at Second City. We're told to watch uh, this one skit, and I know the skit like it's the best one ever. It was Chris Farley and Patrick, <laughs> the Chip Patrick Swayze. Yeah, the Chippendale skit. What would you think, what would you say some of your favorite skits are? Like, I liked Wayne's World, obviously. It's yeah. and everything else. What did you like in uh, SNL? And what do you think of it now? Um, I am fascinated with SNL. I love SNL. I get excited. Like, like meeting SNL people is like meeting wrestlers to me. Because those, because look at, Lauren Michaels and Vince McMahon are so similar. Because they created their own universes. And you look at the SNL folklore and everything behind the show, it's like, wow, like all like it's like the X-Men school of comedy. Cause if you get to be on SNL, your career is gonna be fine pretty much for the rest of your life. And maybe to not different degrees, but like there's two like I think when you judge it, like everybody's like, who's the best SNL people? I was like, well, it, it always depends on the criteria. So I measure mine on two things. What did they do when they were on the show? And how did their careers fare when they left the show? That's what makes them the greatest. So to me, the greatest SNL person of all time is Eddie Murphy. Because Eddie Murphy saved the show from going off there. And then 
he became Eddie Murphy, the highest grossing African-American actor of all time. But then like two and three have got to be like Adam Sandler and Will Ferrell because those guys, their careers, now Will Ferrell's career on the show was way better than Adam Sandler's career on the show. But afterwards, what they've both done in their movies and their production companies and everything else, they're rich, rich, rich. And then Tina Fey, Dan Aykroyd. Those are the top five. What did they do on the show? How important were they on the show? And then the run on 30 Rock, Bridesmaids, Mean Girls. Are you kidding me? Like, seriously? And then, you know, Dan Aykroyd, Blues Brothers, Ghostbusters. Like, the, the list goes on and on of all of his stuff. So, you know, it's just like, but on the show, my favorite sketches, my favorite era was your high school era. So my high school era. So Chris Farley was obviously my hero. That that sketch, it is one of the greatest sketches. But I love Schmidt's Gay even better. Schmidt's Gay is my favorite commercial, probably because of the Van Halen song. But um, also, it's just Farley was just such a beast on that show. He was so entertaining. And then like, yeah, so when he did the Chippendale sketch, the funniest sketch ever. And then I read the Chris Farley book and Chris Rock said Chris Farley didn't want to do the sketch because uh, he hated it. And they said it was a very mean sketch because in the end, they turned him down. They should have let him win. They should have put him over in the sketch. That would have been I funny. Agree. I agree. But, but, but they said, in the end, you're too fat. And then that's basically the end of the, Kevin Nealon said, you're too, we have thought about maybe doing, you know, but they didn't let him win because he was too fat. So it was a mean sketch. But and they said Chris Rock didn't, I mean, Chris Farley didn't want to do it. Chris Rock was the one that said that in the book. But when I saw it, I didn't look at someone who was uncomfortable. I thought he was fearless. <laughs> because as a person who's heavy set, um, I'm, I'm a, and I'll see comics do that every now and again, take their shirts off and get laughs at just being fat. And I was like, you shouldn't have to do that. You know what I mean? You shouldn't have to put yourself to where if the best way you get laughs is because people laughing at you because you're fat, you want people to laugh with you. You don't want them to laugh at you. That's the worst thing ever. So, but Chris Farley was a bigger talent than that. He was more than just a guy that was fat. He was, you know, incredible. Like Tommy Boy is still one of the best buddy movies and rom-coms of all time. And uh, Chris Farley, we didn't even have him for as long as we should have. But, you know, God, the, 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 you look at the best of Chris Farley. It's just hit after hit after hit after hit, you know? Like the, the Hurley brothers, he's like, hey, why, can't, why can't I just feed your dog? For the love of God, just let him feed your dog, you know? Or, yeah, Farley's the best. Like, he's, he's the one I miss the most. Yeah. So, yeah. But, um, yeah, David Spade, still love David Spade to this day. Uh, and yeah, like I said, when I get to meet SNL people, I get super excited. I, I met Sarah Silverman one time when I was in LA and she was super, like, and especially when they're as cool as you want them to be. And she was exactly that. Like 10 years before, my buddy was gave me Jesus's Magic, Sarah Silverman special. It's one of my favorite specials to this day. 10 years later, I'm with my buddy and he's on Sarah Silverman's show at the Largo. 
and I'm gonna and I get to meet her and hang out with her. Like that to me was it's like in ten years, I went from my buddy giving me the DVD of Sarah Silverman to my buddy bringing me to meet Sarah Silverman just because we're gonna hang out, and that and she was just so cool. And then Norm Macdonald met him. He's always been my hero. And in the last two years, uh, I got to open for him in Calgary for two to, for two separate weeks. So we did like fourteen shows together, and. Uh, it was everything I ever dreamed of. He was just the coolest, the most fun. Uh, we played, we did shows every night. We did, and then we played poker till like five in the morning after the shows. And then, you know, we wake up at noon and hang out in the bar. And then, you know, it was just like, it was just the best. And that's somebody who's gone too soon. You know, I was like, I just met Norm. Why does he have to take off so early? You know? Like he gave me his number. I still have it in my phone. Turd Ferguson, the Jeopardy sketches. Like, how great are those? Would he be Burt Reynolds on Jeopardy? My God. And Will Farrell. Yeah. Yeah. Those guys are great. Yeah, I just oh, love SNL. Awesome. But today, yeah. yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I thought it was like I wouldn't if one of those people bit me in the ass, I still wouldn't know who they were. And not to be a bitch. Well, you know, fuck it. So you have all the greats that pass, like Chris Farley, who I met years ago, who's a really nice person. Um, amazing. Then you have people like uh, like Will Ferrell that was on there a long time ago. You had really good sketches with Chris Farley. You had the, the Wayne's World and all the really talented people. Then like you have the ones that pass, like Chris Farley of all people. Then you have like even Jeff Hanneman of Slayer. It's like, just take one of the Kartrashians or like, I'm sorry, fucking Justin Bieber. But I heard Canada doesn't even want him back. So it's like, okay, just get rid of the trash because then you have our hosting SNL. I'm yeah. like, of all the people in the world, do you have to go with someone that did a piss video? I mean, just anyone but that I would respect. And it's just like, you know why? Obviously, she was cast. And that's probably how she met that guy, uh, whatever his name was, Um whom I, I did meet once and I didn't know it was him. I just thought it was some shrub out of a coffee shop in Silver Lake. I'm like, what's, yeah. okay, that's, 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 what was his name? Mac Dave, did they, did his, Dave, Davis, Davis, whatever the hell. He looked like, uh, he, had like he, he looked uh, like he was high on something. Pete, Pen, Pete Davidson. Pete, yeah, there you go. That, I had no idea, but. I don't, nowadays, I don't. I don't. I don't get Pete Davidson. I don't understand what's so funny about him. I don't understand, you he's know. He's not like, cute either. He's ugly. Well, he's, yeah, definitely fugly. And, you know, and definitely like, you know, it's just like, you know, everybody's like, he's got the big, big dick energy. BDE, big dick energy. If he has that? Apparently. So I don't know. He must have something because he keeps dating all these super hot models. And he's not even the funniest guy on the show. You know, Depends so look at Colin. Carl, I mean, like Colin Jost is engaged yeah. or married to Scarlett Johansson for Christ's sakes. Oh, was he? <laughs> he is. No, he currently is. I liked her in the movie um, Matchstick. Was it Matchstick? Matchpoint, which is really good. That's the only movie I really liked her, and I that that's like amazing. Uh, I don't know how she ended up with that, but yeah, it's it's unreal. Like when they do the vanity casting of these things. 
like American Horror Story is one of my favorite series. Why would you, I mean, to put Kim Kardashian in that, it's like, it was fine with Emma Roberts. It was fine with Billy Montana and those, I love her. She's one of my favorite characters mm -hmm. ever and everyone else. But just to put someone like that in there, just like, I won't even watch a season because of that. It's well, not only, not only that, there's a lot of times when they put someone like that's of a different type of fame in something. And then when you see them, it takes you out of the film because you don't like, like, it's like uh, watching this movie, the Butler, and it's all about all these different presidents that all have the same Butler at the white house. Yeah. And then all of a sudden Oprah Winfrey's in the movie. Now oh. I know she was an actress before she was Oprah. Uh, but the minute I see Oprah, I don't see an actress. I see Oprah. So now I'm like, why is Oprah in this movie? You know, or there's a part like in Saving Private Ryan, there's one part where all of a sudden the guy who's wearing a helmet, he looks like an act, like he looks like he's an actor in the war. And then he takes off the helmet. And you're like, oh, it's Ted Danson. What is he doing in this movie? Yeah, right. he was great, though, in Cheers. He, I watched like the backstory oh. in Cheers. One of the best. I like Cheers. Cheers is, Cheers is one of my favorite shows of all time. Because everyone could relate to it, you know? Everyone's yeah. related to someone there, whether it was Norm or like uh, Rhea Perlman. Um, Woody. Jelly. Woody, yeah, yeah. Woody Harrelson's another good one. Love you know? Woody Harrelson. And he was in the People versus Larry Flint, but he's one of right. the ones. But I just, I feel bad though in advance for Emma Roberts and Billy Hall and uh, Billy Montana having to deal with, um, you know, to act with Kim Kardashian. Is that, am I really bitchy today? No, no, that's just, you know, fuck it. I don't care. I know there are a lot of other people out there. And, and yeah, yeah, exactly. But anywho. Yeah, and this is better to have this conversation with me than if you have OJ on, who's a, her goddad, her godfather. <laughs> oh, I forgot. I still, I still think he's like Khloe Kardashian's dad. Um, Like, yeah, when I met him years ago, that guy with him that was at that dinner, he looked like one of the Berenstein bears. Like he had the hairdo and the bad plastic surgery with the, the nose tip where it's just kind of like so short and turned up and like bulbulous at the tip and then the reddish face. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah. Well, the, the you, you brought up the Berenstain Bears. I love that. Um, and, and, and like, so they're one of the, so I, have you read about this? This has been all over TikTok and stuff recently, but it's called <laughs> the, Man, the Mandela Effect. Okay. And they say they're different, two different universe parallel lines that are blended with each other. But people like from our generation, yours and mine, might not remember the way things, the way they, as they were differently. And they say like the Berenstein Bears, we know them as the Berenstein Bears, but now they're the Berenstein Bears. Like they changed the name. It's not Jewish anymore. Like they used to be Jewish Berenstein, but now they changed it. So it's not a Jewish name. Why? And it's like, who knows? But so, oh, so God. when you, so they, so the, the Mandela effect talks about, how people think like people, a lot of people think Mandela died in jail, but he didn't, he got out of jail and he lived a happy life. He became, he became leader again. And uh, so, so they're like, so the so Mandela is like, is this thing that exists, but they say, Oh, it's two different timelines crossing over. I'm like, no, I just think people are stupid. You know, yeah, like they're offended. They get uh, conveniently offended. But I, but in wrestling, I say it's, there's the macho Mandela effect, which What's is that? like, well, everybody seems to think that Shawn Michaels kicked Marty Jannetty through the barbershop window. Oh, God. When in actuality, um, he did kick him in the head, but then he threw him through the window. It's just the subtle difference in two different things, right? 
And uh, the man, when you said the Berenstein Bears, I immediately thought, of, oh, the Mandela effect. It's just the stupidest thing ever, I think. But uh, it's so you retarded, know. you know. Yeah. It's so fucking retarded, and just all the retarded stuff that goes on today. I mean, I go on Twitter in the morning. I'm like, what is this crap? I'm like, seriously. Like, I I put the word retarded out there a billion times. People are used to it, and they're gonna have to get used to it because that is my word. And, you know, it's I'm going to keep using it until people get really offended. Well, at one time, retarded was the politically correct word because it replaced mongoloid. Well, it means slow. Retarded in French. It just means slow or delayed. That's it. That's all it means is slow or delayed. Like when I go to the airport here in Canada, there's the English side and then there's the French side. So you see the English side and you'll say uh, your flight's late. And then you look at the French side and it says en retard. And I'll be like, you know, that doesn't mean your flight's retarded. It just means it's late because that's what it says in English. But if you looked at it, if an American came up, they might look at it and be like, my flight's late. Retarded. Yeah, it is retarded that it's late, you know. Yeah. But uh, no, they're just the same word. Late and delayed means retarded. retarded and I don't know why French people get late. so upset. You know retarded? 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 And of course, Americans will not understand anything of yeah, any other language except English, probably, or whatever, maybe a few words in Spanish. That's one thing I've come to learn living here. Well, I've noticed uh, a lot of TikToks today, and you just mentioned it earlier, Ugh. about the the weather, I mean, the, the smoke advisory in New York City. It, 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 and uh, there's all these TikTok videos of people blaming Canada. I know that's what oh. South Park says to do, but it's like, first of all, we don't plan wildfires. And, then, and they said wildfire season. We don't have wildfire seasons. This is an unfortunate incident. Um, I'm sure you've seen our friend Lauren's videos. Yeah, Where she's worried about her place burning to the ground. She well, had to evacuate, right. you know. And so I'm watching all these people from New York City, which is the big smoke, uh, complain about the air quality. And I was like, how, how, how? And they're shitting all over us Canadians. And I'm like, you know, that's really sad because I remember when New York was filled with smoke, 9-11, and your eastern seaboard was shut off and all the planes that were flying to New York and flying to New York, they all went to Newfoundland in Canada. And then all like thousands of people were put up in Canadians' houses and schools because they had no place to put them because America was closed. So... When you're complaining about American Canadians and our wildfires, just remember, Come From Away was a great Broadway play about Canadians and compassion for Americans. We didn't send the smoke down there on purpose. You, the, 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 the fires are from Quebec in the Maritimes, which is on the water. The wind is coming down from the water and pushing it down. And that's why New York has it, because you're also on the water. So... It's not our fault. It's, no, I, I get that. But look, the mentality. You know, You're talking TikTok videos. Let's talk about that mentality for the quick second before we close out the whole thing. The TikTok mentality. Where do they get their news from? First of all, then TikTok, I've had to like disconnect briefly. Like I cannot go on it. Then it's like I'm seeing all this shit with like, I just want to know why I'm seeing like a nine or 10 year old girl, I just, this is just a normal question. And I don't have kids. Why is this nine year old girl sitting there? Okay. 
with a grown man in a dress, makeup and a pink wig, giving her a lap dance. I just want to know. And I see this shit all over TikTok all day. And that to me is a grown man sexually assaulting a minor female in a federally funded school. So this, I just like, I'm like over it. And you just see all this stuff all day. So the real news, I'll go watch on TV. I'll go online and look for it. I don't yes. want to watch this crap in the school because it really makes me sick to my stomach. And it's just been, it's like, it makes me want to find who your parents are and like call CPS on them for leaving you there or better yet, see who the hell the school is. And I've called CPS before or for, um, for certain uh, places in California, but yeah. So uh, I won't say where moving right along. Sorry for the ignorant Americans who think Canada is to blame. I think they've watched too much <laughs> South Park. Um, <laughs> where can people find your shows? Like where you're performing and where do they find you on the internet? Okay. Um, yeah, you can find me um, for shows wise. I usually follow my Instagram. I put up most of my shows on my Instagram account, which is Casey Corbin comedian. Um, I'm the most important Casey Corbin out there. Um, humble brag. Uh, there are a couple others, but I am slowly eliminating them and, uh, no, no. And, uh, yeah. So Casey Corbin comedian on the Instagram is best way to follow my shows. Uh, if you want to watch YouTube, it's Casey Corbin, Casey Corbin on Twitter, Casey Corbin comedian on, um, TikTok uh spotify is just casey corbin i have four albums on spotify including the undertaker story which i just told in this story today i released that a couple weeks ago and uh with over a million and a half streams right now so um and i i was pulled off of spotify for a bit because i was with the wrong like my i was with tunecore and tunecore pulled all their comedians off spotify because of some trial so um, I've recently pulled all my stuff off TuneCore and I've re uh, used, I used uh, DistroKid as a distributor, a distributor, <laughs> so almost fumbled that word. And uh, so now I'm back on American Spotify. So you can find me on the American Spotify, Casey Corbin. And uh, just, and if you can't find me anywhere else, just Google Casey Corbin and you'll see whatever you need to see, so. Well, thank you. Do you have any messages for your fans? Um, no, just uh, enjoy life. Have a good time. And uh, come see me or just at least uh, give them a couple of my tracks off of any of my albums to spin or give them a listen or, you know, fall asleep and just let them all play out through the night. So, you know, because every spin is fractions of cents on the dollar. So it all adds up. Well, that's great. And then hopefully when you're back, we'll finally get that chance to have that drink at the rainbow or from up that way, hopefully soon in Canada, like one of these days. So who knows? Yeah, definitely. 100%. I look forward to it. Well, thank you for staying uh, this long with me on the show. And thanks for telling me your stories. I think it's very interesting. Thanks for having me on. And uh, I'm glad we got a chance to do this. Are you enjoying the ride on my crazy train? Woo! Please make sure to rate and review Crazy Train Podcast. Take a screenshot, send it to me in a DM via Instagram, Twitter, or Facebook, and I will send you a free goodie bag. Oh, and Crazy Train Podcast is now on YouTube. So subscribe, Crazy Train Podcast, that's with a K, 
on YouTube for video interviews and never heard before interviews and some really cool bonus content. Woo!